Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today Janelle St. Jane. She is the creator, the protagonist, as she calls herself, behind Pietisery. Uh, and I have to say, Janelle, in addition to welcoming you to the program, that if you had a last dessert rather than a last supper, or if you were deserted on an island and could have one dessert, I think you would go to Pietisserie and have <laughs> the raspberry and chocolate uh, because there's nothing like it. Decadence, playfulness, and elegance. Uh, welcome, Janelle. Thank you so much. That is a huge compliment. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show today. Well, it's an honor to host you. I wanted to ask you first about your inspiration based in Oakland, California, for creating the establishment, and then discuss the implications of the pandemic and some really extraordinary work you're doing to expand the pie horizons beyond the United States. But first, can you just tell me your inspiration, both for the dish that I mentioned, raspberry and chocolate, and for pietisserie? Absolutely. I started pietisserie in 2010. So it's been some time now. And um, I definitely never saw this much pie in my future. But I decided one day to give away slices of pie out of the window of my mom's house uh, in San Francisco. Um, I dressed it up like a little country window in the city. I sat inside. I set out pies on a makeshift windowsill. And I gave away slices to anybody who walked by. And people said, oh, how much is this? And I'm like, no, it's free. The only... I guess you'd say rule is I'm serving it to you on a glass plate. So you will hang around and meet your neighbors and just have a really nice, slow experience. And one of my friends came and he said, you know, you need to start a pie business, right? So I started the business and I've just been growing it slowly ever since. You can visit Pietisserie on the web and order nationally. How about the specific creation that I'm mentioning, which is one of your trademarks, um, you would be able to tell our listeners if it is what you consider the most original of your original pietisserie pies, but what was the inspiration specifically of the raspberry and chocolate? Well, you know, uh, I did not come to pies or pietisserie with a food background. Um, sometimes people will call me a pastry chef, which I take as a huge compliment, but I'm very much a pie person. And um and a self-trained pie person, I only knew how to make three pies when I started my business. And it just seemed to me that um, it just seemed to me that pies have become very narrow. And so I opened my mind to what pie could be. Um, and you know, what came first before raspberry and chocolate was a pumpkin pie and chocolate crust because I fell in love with pumpkin chocolate in grade school. Um, and then I said, this crust is amazing. Like what else would be awesome inside of a chocolate crust? And of course my mind went to raspberry. It's a very traditional combination, but, um, if I do say so myself, I think the raspberry and chocolate pie is like one of the best raspberry chocolate combinations there is. Um, and this pie has a double crust. Um, so it's dark chocolate crust on the bottom dark chocolate crust on the top. And like, in addition to 
being so yummy. It's just really, really pretty. And that's always important to me as well. You've also established some flavors and profiles of pie that I think are not just distinctive, but maybe the only place you can find in the United States. You have violet sweet potato. You have grapefruit, um, like a key lime style, but grapefruit. Um, the expansiveness of the palate is is pretty wide for those who are interested. But as all businesses encountered the challenge of the pandemic, um, you're based in California, like where I am in New York. We've been in a new normal for many months now. And I wanted to ask you about the business and how it's operated over the course of the pandemic. Sure. The biggest change to the business during the pandemic was that we closed the shop, which was right on the east side of Lake Merritt in Oakland. Um, And we moved to delivery and shipping. We, before the pandemic, had some grocery accounts. And so obviously that's also been very important to keeping the business going. Um, And I would say that our savory pie business grew during the pandemic because I think people just really wanted uh, comforting foods. With with respect to the mechanics of pie making, Mm -hmm. the availability of ingredients during this time, um, have you found there to be plentiful supply of most of the ingredients you use? Are there any that during either the beginning of the pandemic or still today are more difficult to to come by? I have not found that to be a challenge. I have to say Um, it's been a little slow. Um, I have a new pie box coming out and that's been a little bit slow to move across the ocean. Um, But that's it. Thankfully. You recently returned from Mexico city and uh, I'm so honored to hear your perspective not just as someone who's preserved her business and the livelihood of the community in Oakland for all those you feed in the United States, but you specifically were engaged in a project in Mexico that I'd love you to tell our listeners about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I fell in love with Mexico City a few years ago, uh, and... I walked into this uh, beautiful restaurant called Nido in Mexico City, and just this organic connection sparked. I started talking to the owner about how great their pastries were. And I said, well, you know, I make pies. He said, get out. My family loves pies. We used to live in Toronto. There's no pies in Mexico City. Can you teach us? Actually, as a matter of fact, can we just make pies tomorrow and do a pie sale? Uh, And so it was just like a few days later, um, I was selling pies to the citizens of Mexico city and it was a hit. And so we've done it a few times. Um, and we're thinking about launching a more, um, basically a pie business in Mexico city. There's no pies in Mexico city, which is shocking because, um, Mexicans love their sweets. I think it's one of the biggest, um, the countries that consumes the most sweets in the world. So there's no pies and, so that's how I've managed to have this whole project in Mexico. 
how have you found the receptiveness to expansion at this moment when it is challenging to exist in the day-to-day reality? It sounds like there was receptiveness where you were in Mexico. Um, I mean, it's just like you land and you're like, oh, there's COVID here too. Um, it's a, like compared to San Francisco where, um, you know, we've been open and closed and open there. It was like different neighborhoods were open and closed and it would change from day to day. And I honestly wasn't really sure if we were going to be able to do the event or if people would even turn out. Right. It's like, are people going to come out for pie when there's a pandemic? They actually did, which was huge to me. And I got lucky that, you know, we weren't doing it on a shutdown day, but it's, um, it's, it's everywhere. And so they're coping with it just like we are. Both the culinary industry and consumers of food, they constitute a very hands-on experience. As you've managed with the protocols that have been established for California, what have you found to be the most effective in navigating this time and also the, the most challenging in that you, you hope there would be some correction or um, there is some misunderstanding that would be helpful to correct when it comes to either municipal, state, or federal guidance around how to operate at this time? I think because Pitisserie, the store is closed and we're focusing on what we can do, um, you know, we've been able to continue to operate, but I'm in community with other food makers, restaurateurs, bar owners who are struggling so badly right now. And I think the biggest question, you know, flying back and forth um, over messaging, is like, why can we not be open when retail is open? Like, why can we not be open at 20% capacity? Why is outdoor, why is outdoor dining um, not an option? It's just like people in my industry are just taking it right now. And um, I mean, I think, I do think it, it's unfair. It's like, okay, well, if we can't go sit outside six feet away and enjoy a meal, then like, why should we be able to shop inside of, um, you know, a big box store? So I would say that that's one criticism that I have. That's a disconnect. And as you anticipate a new administration federally, uh, President Biden taking office, what might you suggest as someone who um, has such amazing experience on the ground, an area of commerce where people are craving their pies and ought to be fed those pies and there is some gridlock, there is some disconnect still from the public policy perspective and the perspective of culinary artisans and entrepreneurs. So if there was any recommendation you would have for a new administration based on your experience these past months, what would it be? Restaurants are a lot of the times the, like really lend to the vibrancy of our cities and that we're going to come back from this 
and when the world is safe again, we want our cities to be, um, you know, just as vibrant um, as they were before. And so please take steps to make sure that people in the food industry and the restaurant industry are, are, you know, not decimated at the end of all of this. Are there specific tangible steps you think you identify the revolving door of opening and closing as a challenge in the climate? Um, but there's been a tremendous amount of pressure on Governor Newsom to get things right, uh, as there has been on Governor Cuomo. And um, and so when you are seeking any guidance about reopening, is, is it more of a relationship with you and the city of Oakland, or is it more of a relationship with you and, and, and the county or, or the state? We see variation from county to county. Um, each county has its own health department, and I'm sure everybody has to follow uh, the guidelines from the state, but um, I'm not exactly sure how the guidelines from the state get interpreted, like what the process is, how they get interpreted differently from county to county. Um, There's a lot of, there's a lot of governmental agencies bearing down on what happens um, to people in the food business right now, but people still need to eat. So a recognition of how much we have taken for granted, uh, culinary artisans and creators like, like yourself. Um, what do you think has kept people in your, in your neck of the woods and in your network most resilient? Um, it, it seems like you are indefatigable in, you know, preserving not only your operation, but at the same time during this period, expanding your horizon, thinking of where you can feed pie that pie doesn't exist? Um, I would say within the industry, um, lots of communication and support. I would say within Oakland, uh, lots of um, intentional effort to support local business, small business, to keep patronizing local restaurants it's one of the reasons why I'm so glad I ended up opening in Oakland is because people do have a consciousness about that. And I would say being nimble. It's just, if you can, you know, if you, if you can, and it's a, it's a big if for a lot of people, if you can switch up how you're doing what you do, um, now's the time to do it. We are, publishing this on inauguration week when vice president Harris has assumed office vice president Harris has a connection to Oakland and California and will bring that perspective to the white house, how you reflect on the glass ceiling that she's broken and also how you hope she'll bring her lens from Oakland to Washington, D.C.? I mean, it swells my heart, you know, to see. I'm sitting um, right now in Berkeley at my sister's house where, you know, Kamala's from Berkeley. And, um, and 
I'm a mixed girl and, you know, my, my little niece and all of her friends are, and it's just like, wow, like Kamala is the vice president. Like what it means. So it means so much. It means so much. And, um, what do I hope that she'll bring, um, of her perspective from Oakland and from the Bay area? Uh, I guess I would say Kamala, I just know that she's going to remember people of color in office and, you know, the struggles that we have to go through to excel and the extra work that we have to do. And, um, and she's just an example of, of what's possible. Found her in addition to being a historic choice for vice president uh, to have real abiding and deep roots in the community, sustained roots over the course of her time in office as district attorney, attorney general, senator. Did you find and do you find that she really has been true to those roots? I didn't follow her career until, I mean, until, I mean, a couple of years ago, I think I was at a fundraiser uh, where she spoke. Um, and, and so like, that's the first time that I really paid attention to her. Um, and, and so that being said, like, I, I don't think I can really speak to like the longevity of her career. Um, it's more just like, it's more just like, wow, like, I just feel really good that Kamala is the, is the vice president that she's come from the place where I'm at. Um, makes me feel like me and all the people in my community will be remembered. Like we have like a special line to the white house, which, you know, that's not like, (laughs) that shouldn't be an actual thing. Um, but it feels good. In addition to, remembering the the needs of folks in the culinary industry right now, what policies do you think or hope um, will will drive the, the most equitable change over this next four year period? It can be related to um, the business that you're leading, but if you were to think about it more broadly in terms of either recovering from these past years or looking towards the future, what kind of equity and what kind of policies do you think, if there is one or if there are a couple of specific policies that you think this new administration ought to implement I think if they can, you know, roll out the second round of the PPP ASAP, that would be great. Um, there is a, a provision in there that allows for um, an increased um, amount of money that you can you can get in the food industry, and I think that that's a really good start. But I think um, people are being people are being crushed under rents where they can't pay their rent. So I think that there needs to be something related to. Um, rent relief. Um, and I mean, that's really from the business owner perspective. There's lots of people who work in 
inside of restaurants who are suffering so badly from this as well. And um, I think those people specifically um, need to be helped. How? Um, Just financial relief, I would say now and going forward, maybe some sort of different policies around taxation on on gratuities, um, those sorts of things. It's just there's a lot of people in the service industry who already barely get by. From a practical perspective, you're identifying the new stimulus and specific provisions for restaurants in the food industry. Is there a way that you can raise the minimum wage federally, you think, to $15 an hour and make the gratuities more uniform and integrated into employment and consumer practices? Oh, um, you know, I think... I think low-wage workers deserve to make more money, and I think operating a restaurant is really hard. The margins are tiny. So if we're talking about independently operated restaurants, you know, if they're going to open back up again after the pandemic and then um, have to pay more money hourly, a lot of them, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that small restaurant owners really could do that um, given the way um, just the price, the pricing expectations that customers have inside of restaurants um, I mean, that's, it's honestly, it's a real struggle, right? And like, we have some of the highest minimum wages here in the Bay Area, and Pi Test 3 exceeds those. Um, um, but yeah, that's, that's hard. So I don't know if that's really going to support the right way to support restaurants and restaurant workers. You know, restaurant workers, if there's no restaurants, there's no place for restaurant workers to work. So I think that there, I think that something else probably needs to happen. Janelle St. Jane, thank you so much for your story and your insight today. And I encourage our listeners to visit your Pytisserie website and to check out not just the raspberry and chocolate, but every pie you offer. Thank you, Janelle. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great, Alexander.